0: Some decisions are simple. The man she wanted to marry proposed. Very simple decision. His dream job was offered to him. Simple decision. The menu contains your favorite meal. Simple decision. Some decisions, however, are more complicated. Because they contain conflicts, two men are dating her, and she can't make up her mind which one is her favorite. Two jobs are offered to a man, and he's not sure which one to take. Or you go to a restaurant, and two of your favorite meals are on the menu, and you are torn between the two. I say some decisions or a little more complicated. I don't know how many times I have had somebody tell me they had a hard time finding a job, and they said, I've prayed and not had a job offer, and all of a sudden they came back and said, well, now I have two offers, and I'm not sure which one to take. I've heard stories like that several times. Well, in the Bible... There was a man named Jacob who faced that kind of a situation. At the time, he was living in Canaan, but he had an invitation from his son to move to Egypt. On the other hand, he knew that Canaan was the land that God had promised Abraham and Isaac before him. He had lived in Canaan for many years, And was uncomfortable with the thought of leaving it because he knew that was the land that God had given to him and his descendants. So on the one hand, he was in Canaan and felt he should stay there. On the other hand, there was a conflict. Namely, there was a famine in the land and They couldn't stay, and if they did, they would starve to death. So he had a decision to make. What should he do? If it was the will of God for him and his descendants to inherit the land of Canaan, God was certainly able to break the famine in Canaan and bring his son Joseph back from Egypt to Canaan, or... If it was the will of God for him to go to Egypt to escape the famine and be united to his son, then he would have to leave the land that God had promised his forefathers and his descendants. On the basis, on what basis I should say, was he to make that decision? Well, I think if we can see what he decided to do, it might influence some of the decisions we make. I know this, that if you understood this passage, it would solve some of the tension I have had people give me over decisions they had to make. So let's talk about decision making by looking at Jacob and the decision he had to make as to whether or not he would leave Canaan. Turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 46. Genesis chapter 46. And look at verse 1. So Israel, as you know that's another name for Jacob, took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Now let's pause here for a minute, and let me give you a bit of background. I just referred to the fact that there was a famine going on. And as you recall from the previous chapters we've looked at, uh, one of his sons, Joseph, had been sold into slavery, ended up in Egypt, and was there for a number of years before this famine took place. When the famine took place, Jacob sent his other sons down to Egypt to buy food, and that's when, after a series of events, they discovered that Joseph was now the prime minister, the vice president of Egypt. So he sent them, his brothers, back to Canaan and said, tell my father to come. I have enough to take care of them all. He had been in charge of storing up food in anticipation of the famine. So what this verse is telling us is Jacob decided to go to Egypt. Now, uh, he was at the time living in Hebron. So he packed up everything and started toward Egypt. And what this verse tells us is that he came to Beersheba, Now, Beersheba is right at the southern tip of the Promised Land. So at this point, he's still in the Promised Land, but he has clearly made the decision to go to Egypt. Now, on what basis did he make that decision? There is nothing in the text to tell us that God had revealed to him that he should go to Egypt that he had any way of knowing that that was the will of God, he just picked up at Hebron and started toward Egypt and got as far as Beersheba. So let me read between the lines, if I may. I would like to suggest that he made that decision based on common sense frankly there wasn't a whole lot else he could do as I've mentioned there was a famine in the land if he stayed in Canaan they were certain to face hunger and possibly starvation the other issue for him is he had not seen his son Joseph in years and now he's been told If he simply travels down to Egypt, he will see his son Joseph. So, I say, based on common sense, he packs up and he goes to to Beersheba. Now, look at verse 1 again. It says that when he got there, he offered sacrifices to the god of his father, uh, the god of his father Isaac. Now, I think it's interesting, if I'm correct in saying he simply made the decision because he had to, it was common sense, he still hasn't left his commitment to the Lord. Because in the latter part of verse 1, he gets to Beersheba and he offers sacrifices to the Lord. He, in other words, if he's operating on common sense, that was not contrary to his commitment to the Lord. In the Old Testament, offering sacrifices was an indication of his relationship to the Lord and his commitment to the Lord. So even though there's not been any revelation that he should go to Egypt, he's doing that solely based on necessity, or I'm saying common sense, yet that was not contrary to his commitment to the Lord. So he gets to Beersheba And he sacrifices. Then, verse 2 says, God spoke to Israel in in the vision of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. And he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt For I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again, and Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. Wow! He made a decision without hearing from the Lord, but in the middle of the trip, he heard from the Lord. The Lord appeared to him and said, Don't be afraid to go to Egypt. That is uh, according to my will. I don't think he knew that before he went, because there's no indication that he had a vision before he went. He had the vision after he made the decision to go and actually started the trip. At any rate, I take it that what's going on here. Is God is confirming that that's where he wants him to go so look at verse 3 at the end of it I will make you a great nation there now that's interesting why are you going to take Jacob to Egypt to make him a great nation there why couldn't he do that in Canaan well If you've looked at the book of Genesis carefully, you will recall that some of his sons intermarried with some Canaanite women. I think God allowed them to go to Egypt. Obviously, it's his will for them to go to Egypt. And perhaps part of the reason was there is no way the Egyptians would have intermarried with them. So by going to Egypt, God's going to make him a great nation in Egypt because there won't be any intermarriage and dilute the line. Furthermore, there was such rampant idolatry in Egypt. They didn't depart from the Lord while they were there because they lived in isolation. We'll see in a minute that they got isolated down to Goshen, But because of the Egyptian culture, they were isolated, and therefore they didn't intermarry, and therefore they didn't get involved in Egyptian idolatry. So, God is saying, "Um, fine, I want you to go. And, he says to him, very interesting phrase at the end of verse 4, Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. Now, What does that mean? It means you're going to die in Egypt because it was the custom, I'm told, that when they died, they would put their hands, a relative would put the hand on the eye of the person who had just passed away. So this is a way of saying you're going to go to Egypt and I'm going to be with you. I'm going to make you a great nation there, which is exactly what happened. And by the way, You're not going to come back to Canaan. Your descendants are. You're going to pass away in Egypt. So, picking up at verse 5, the Bible tells us, Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel, another name for Jacob, carried their father Jacob, their little ones, and their wives in the carts which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. So they took their livestock and their goods, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and went to Egypt. And Joseph and all of his descendants were with him. And his sons, and his sons' sons, and his daughters, and his sons' daughters, and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. So this is simply telling us in a little detail that he uprooted and went, as we would say what, lock, stock, and barrel and moved everything to Egypt. He took all of the relatives and all of their possessions and he went to Egypt. Now what happens next in this passage is nothing more than a long list of names. Starting in verse 8 and going all the way through verse 27, we are given the names of people that went down into Egypt. Now, I'm not exactly sure what to do with this long passage of Scripture. Uh, To read it, to identify all the people, uh, is not something that is very profitable, frankly. But I'll tell you what I would like to do. I would like to just give you a basic analysis of what's in these verses for example in verses 8 to 15 we are given the children and the grandchildren of Leah look at verse 15 these are the sons of Leah and so 8 to 15 are the sons and the grandsons of Leah. In verses 16 to 18, we are given the sons of Zelpha. Look at verse 18. These are the sons of uh, Zelpha, whom Laban gave to Leah his daughter, and these she bore to Jacob 16 persons. Now, if you'll recall the story, When Jacob fled because his brother Esau threatened to kill him, he ends up uh, with two wives and uh, had concubines out of their maids. So what this passage is telling us is that uh, Leah had all these children and Zelpha had 16. Uh, The text says that... um, Uh, That Leah, by the way, had 33. All right. Then in verses 17 to 22, we are told about, uh, well, look at verse 22. These are the sons of Rachel. So the sons of Rachel are given in verses 17 to 22, and we are told They were 14 in all, in verse 22. Then one more category. In verses 23 to 25, we are given the uh, story of Bilhah, who was uh, Rachel's uh, maid. So if you'll recall, in essence, Jacob had four wives and each of them had children. And what this little section is telling us is the whole tribe went to Egypt. And it's listing them by their mothers, by the women who bore them. So Leah had 33, and Zelpha had 16, Rachel had 14, Bilhah had 7. And if you add all of those up, you get 66. However, uh, look at verse 26. And all the persons who went with Jacob to Egypt, who came from his body beside Jacob's sons' wives, were 66 persons in all. And... The sons of Joseph, who were born to him in Egypt, were two persons. All the persons of the house of Jacob, who went to Egypt, were 70. Now, all I want to point out is that throughout the passage, he's giving us numbers. And in verse 27, he's giving us the total. And the total is 70. So 70 people went from Canaan to Egypt. Got it? That's what verse 27 says. So what do we say about that? Well, let me tell you, there's a problem with that. Uh, This is not the kind of thing that you would normally pick up if you were just reading the passage, but if you read the Bible and compared some passages, you would discover there is a problem here. The Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, says in verse 27, there were 75 people who went to Egypt. Now that's not a problem. Uh, The Septuagint was translated somewhere around 250 years before Christ. Uh, It's referred to a lot. It's quoted, apparently, in the New Testament. Uh, It isn't inspired So the fact that it says 75 is not a great problem. The problem is that in Acts chapter 7, Stephen is preaching, and he says there were 75. So I'm going to bring this up for the simple reason that if you talk to people about the Lord or about the Bible Someday somebody might point out to you, ah, there's a contradiction in the Bible. One passage says that 70 went into Egypt, and another passage says there were 75 that went to Egypt. Now, what do you have to say about that? Well, I want to talk about that for a second. For the simple reason, um, you might have somebody bring it up. And if so, you need to be ready to give them an answer. But let me just tell you this before I give you the answer. I have spent many years studying the Bible. As a matter of fact, uh, this marks my 50th year. I I graduated from seminary in 1966. It's 2016. And so I started in the, uh, actually the summer, and fall, uh, 50 years ago. And what I've tried to do is go through every book of the Bible. I haven't made it all the way through. I'm close, but I haven't looked at all of them. I'm a few shy. I'm working on those. Now the reason I bring all that up is this has been my passion for virtually all of my adult life. And I have bumped into the kind of problem that I just brought up. And I'm aware of where these so-called contradictions are in the Bible. But I am here to tell you that I've looked at virtually all of them. And in every case, there is a reasonable explanation. Uh, matter of fact, uh, This gets real interesting to me because I'm so interested in the Scripture. In many cases, there's more than one answer to the problem. There's more than one possible answer. So that um, when somebody says to you there's a contradiction, I've had many people say this to me as I've talked about the Scripture and about the Lord, and they'll say, oh, but the Bible contradicts itself. My standard reply is, where? What contradiction are you talking about? And very often, they don't have one. They've just heard that. But every once in a while, they bring one up. The most common one I've ever heard is, where did Cain get his wife? Have you ever heard that? Anybody ever said that to you? Nobody's ever said that to you? You ever, said, anybody, ever heard anybody say that? Where did Cain get his wife? Do you know the answer? Oh boy, I wasn't intending on doing this tonight, but um, let me tell you. You see, the problem is it sounds like Adam and Eve only had two children, Cain and Abel, and Cain killed Abel, so where did he get his wife? I turn to Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5. Matter of fact, I think when we went through Genesis, I might have mentioned this. I can't imagine that I didn't, but that was so long ago I forgot. Uh, Turn to Genesis chapter 5 for a second. Uh, Genesis chapter 5 says that um, Adam and Eve had daughters. See if I can find it. I know it's in chapter 5 somewhere. Uh, Look at verse 4. 4. After he begat Seth, the day of Adam was 800 years, and he had sons and daughters. So, Adam had a daughter, and it stands to reason that Cain married his sister. say, oh, but that's a problem. That's incest. You can't do that. Why not? And the answer is that if two close siblings marry each other and have children, the mathematical possibilities of the weakness of the line coming out in their children is greater if they're close relatives so that is uh, forbidden today but suppose you had perfect parents physically and there weren't any weaknesses in the line if your mother and father was abraham i mean adam and eve That wasn't a problem in those days. The prohibition against it came many, many years later. So that's not a contradiction. But I bring it up because it's the most common contradiction I hear, one of the most common questions I have about Scripture, when people are diving into what does something mean. But that doesn't answer Acts 7, does it? So turn to Acts 7. Stephen said there were 75 people. So how do you reconcile 70 verses 75? Well, turn to Acts 7 and look at verse 14. Then Joseph sent and called his father Jacob and all of his relatives to him, 75 people. Do you see that? What does it say? Does it say that 75 people went to Egypt? No. It says he called 75 people to go to Egypt. It doesn't say that 75 people actually went. So there is technically not a contradiction between Acts 7.14 and Genesis 46, verse 27. Because Genesis 46, verse 27 says, all the persons of the house of Jacob went to Egypt, who went to Egypt were 70. So we lost five people along the way. Somewhere, Joseph called 75 70 showed up in Egypt. Alright go back to Genesis 46 and let me finish the chapter and summarize what's going on here. We've gone all the way down to verse 27. Look at verse 28. And then He sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out before him the way to Goshen, and they came to the land of Goshen. Now what's happening here is they get close to Egypt, I take it 70, and they send Judah, one of Jacob's sons, to go see Joseph and say, We're here, where do we go? And he sent them to the land of Goshen. Verse 29, so Joseph made ready his chariot, and he went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. And he presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die since I have seen your face because you are still alive. Remember he said... uh, If he lost Benjamin, he would die because he had lost Joseph. He says, all right, I've I've gotten my long lost son. I can die now. That's all he's saying. Verse 31, then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, my brothers and those of my father's house who are in the land of Canaan have come to me. So all this is telling us, is that uh, they got to Egypt. Now I'll pick up the rest of the story later, but I want to pause here because uh, this is, this is a, a, a unit, it's an episode, it's a story. And the point of this story is they left Canaan and they finally made it to Israel, I'm sorry, to Egypt, and they uh, brought a total of 70 people with them and there is this fantastic reunion between Jacob and his son Joseph and it was a very emotional crisis in Goshen they had not seen each other in 23 years so you can imagine the absolute joy and ecstatic experience they had when they met each other now I think it's a very simple story that tells us that 70 people went from Canaan to Egypt. I mean, that's basically the story. Um, The only significant part of this is in the first part of the story, which I pointed out. Jacob left Hebron, went to Beersheba, sacrificed, And then he got a word from God that what he was doing was okay. So that God didn't appear to him before he decided to go, he appeared to him after, and I think that's probably one of the most significant things in this passage. That Jacob, based on common sense, made a decision that was not only in the will of God, but furthered the will of God, because God said, I'm going to use this to get you down to Egypt, and I'm going to make you a great nation in Egypt. So his common sense decision was not against the will of God. It was in the will of God, and it furthered the will of God. So I'd like to simply make the point tonight that a simple basis for making a decision is common sense. Common sense, which isn't so common anymore. But that's what he did. And he did it repeatedly throughout his life. He used common sense when he got out of Dodge. Remember that? His brother Esau threatened to kill him. So what did he do? What's the common sense thing to do? Get out of Dodge. So he left, and he ended up meeting a guy named Laban. And uh, that was another common sense decision. He worked to get his wives. And then he went, in this passage, to Egypt. One commentator says, Assuming there is no scripture to the contrary, One should proceed according to his best judgment and at the same time continue in prayer for guidance. He can have confidence that the Lord will either bless the decision or else overrule and redirect. So here's the point I want to make tonight. It's an incredibly simple point, but it needs to be made. When there is no clear statement, principle or example in the scripture for making a decision, use common sense. Now, the reason I think this is important is because I'm a pastor, and I have been known to say that of all the people that have ever come to talk to me uh, or ask me questions Mm -hmm in my office, I would say that sometimes as high as the answer to their question in 75% of the cases is nothing more than common sense. In many of these cases, you do not have to have a seminary degree. You don't need to have attended Bible classes very long. If you know just some of the basic things about the Bible and a little about life, You can answer a lot of questions people ask a pastor. Now, the other reason I bring this up, and I think it's so important, is this. That some people get so hung up on the fact that they've got to have a verse from the Bible to make a decision. When they can't find one and are forced to make a decision anyway, then they start feeling guilty that they made the decision without some direction from the Lord. And this is one of the classic illustrations in the Bible, one of the few, where a man made a decision based on common sense. There's no food here. I haven't seen my son in 23 years. And he's going to make a simple decision to make a trip to Egypt and take everything with him. And God says to him, good decision. He took the Lord in account, he offered a sacrifice, and God appears to him and says, I'm going to go with you to Egypt. I'm going to make you a great nation in Egypt. I'm going to leave you there until you die, and then I'm going to give your descendants the land of Palestine. So the one simple thing I want to say tonight, I'm going to repeat it again. When there is no clear statement, principle, or example in Scripture for making a decision, use common sense. And don't feel bad about that. Don't feel guilty about that. Don't feel that you've done something wrong. God gave us good common sense in many cases. Because a lot of people today don't have good common sense. I want to give you an illustration of the kind of thing I'm talking about. A pastor I know asked if he could uh, come to see me because he had a need for advice. I was more than happy to meet with him, of course. And I couldn't imagine why he wanted advice from me. He was 57 years old, highly intelligent, with a seminary degree, and had a great knowledge of the Scripture. Now, at the time, he was older than I was and had been a pastor and uh, a seminary graduate. Why does he need to come to talk to me about advice? Well come to find out the church that he had been pastoring uh, was not an easy church to pastor. It had a number of problems that would have been a challenge for anybody. After being there for some time, by mutual consent, he agreed to resign. Without a job, he lived for a while on his severance pay and then the money he had put into retirement. There were a number of complications to his story. But the bottom line is that he had run out of money and was fearful of losing his house. As I listened to him describe the details of his dilemma, I learned that because he had lived in the house for so long He had an extremely low house payment. You know how that is? You buy a house, you get a 30-year mortgage, and with inflation, by the time you get to the close to the end of that mortgage, what looked like a huge house payment when you bought the house looks rather small toward the end of the 30 years. Well, that's what it was like. His payment was very low because he had lived in the house for so long. As a matter of fact, he would have it paid off in just a few short years. Except for one little glitch. It occurred to me that he was a perfect candidate for a reverse mortgage. At the moment, it seemed to me that if that worked, that would be a perfect solution to his financial dilemma. He would have his house paid off with a small income and then have a small income for the rest of his life. As it turned out, the solution didn't work because he was a few years shy of qualifying for the reverse mortgage. So that didn't work. My next suggestion was that in order to save the house, he should get a part-time job until he qualified for the reverse mortgage. Now, you understand the situation. If he can just make it for a few more years and the house is paid off and he does a reverse mortgage, he could have lived the rest of his life with a paid-off house and an income. So that's what I suggested that he do. Uh, the basis of that decision was what? Good common sense. It was a matter of survival in his case. In the meantime, he could pray that the Lord would open a door for some other kind of ministry. But he should not wait for the Lord to open the door for ministry, in my opinion, and lose the house if he did, because it could not be Replaced. Am I making sense? Let me ask another question. Am I making common sense? Would you have done that deal? Would you have gotten a part-time job to pay off that low mortgage for a couple of years and live? He could have done that, and it would have worked to keep the house. I would have done that in a heartbeat. You'd have had a house, a roof over your head for the rest of your life paid for And the house would be paying you. That just seems to me to be common sense. Now, I am amazed at how many people have asked me for advice, and the advice was nothing more than common sense. And by the way, in that case, as I recall, he didn't do it, and he lost the house. And that's what I'm saying. Common sense isn't common anymore. I'm amazed at how uncommon common sense is. So let me repeat again. This is the point. When there's no clear indication in Scripture as what you should do, then try applying some sanctified common sense. The scripture says there's safety in a multitude of counselors. So if you don't think you're qualified with common sense, go talk to a handful of other people. Mature people, wise people, spiritually minded people, and get some common sense from them. So if you don't have it, go get it. And don't feel like you've done something wrong. If God hasn't spoken, He expects you to use your common sense. Amen, amen, and amen. Father, thank you. Thank you for giving us your word that gives us direction in so many areas of our life. Thank you for giving us people who have studied your word and have walked with you, who can give us advice And Father, thank you for giving us a sound mind that can think through situations and make common-sense decisions, and thereby not only stay in your will, but further your will. In Jesus' name, amen.